What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 10 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Today, we got a fantastic episode in store for you uh, by hitting double digits. Got to celebrate a little bit different. Uh, we are bringing on our first guest of the entire podcast. We are bringing on my boy, Sean Byrne. He is a gamer himself, an unfortunate Philly fan. Uh, so this episode is going to be featuring a full 76ers breakdown of everything from offseason to current season. Uh, we are going to be doing a start bench cut series going over five different matchups and kind of seeing how we go there and finishing it off with a little bit of title talk, seeing how the top five title contenders, how the seasons look so far. Sean, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? This is fun. Um, I mean, it's cool. Like, obviously, you've you've been uh, getting better at this every single week, so I'm excited to hop on and um, I mean, we shoot the shit about NBA stuff, literally probably, I don't know, send, how many texts a day do we send? Like 20 texts a day about NBA it's shit. So, so we might as well take, take it to podcast form. This is fun. I'm excited, man. Thanks for having me. It's, it's exciting. Yeah, I appreciate having you on. Uh, Sean is the reason that this audio doesn't sound like dog shit anymore. Um, while I had COVID hopped up my room, uh, Sean uh, did Sir Lancelot and dropped off this beautiful sounding Yeti mic into my mailbox and I got to throw away my dog shit $25 mic from Amazon. So I'm very excited to, uh, to actually sound like a human and not a static box. So hopefully the listeners yeah. appreciate that as well. <laughs> I'm in on it. It's all about spreading the wealth. I got a new mic. I, sh I share the wealth with, the, with you. You and, and to be fair, you definitely needed the mic. I mean, come on now. Gotta happen. Gotta happen. All right. So we got to hop right into Sixers talk. Um, Sean's born in Philly talking about Philly, uh, all sports, uh, really talking about the Sixers, uh, initial thoughts on the season so far. Uh, we really got to hop into it. They are 23 and 16, good for fifth in the East, and the entire team kind of builds around Joel Embiid, who I said before on the podcast, and I will continue to state, is the best player in the NBA when he is healthy. That has been a very large question for an unfortunate seasons, but when he's playing, he is an absolute two-way force, and the closest thing the NBA has seen to Akeem Olajuwon, he is a two-way menace and should be have won a couple of defense player of the years. That's for another day. Um, coming into the season as of right now, uh, where do you think that they've been? Obviously, with the whole Ben drama, he's not playing, so they're missing their number two. Uh, where do you see them currently right now with the way the season's unfolded? I mean, it's tough, right? Like, I feel like every single time the offseason rolls around, the Sixers have some other ridiculous drama going on, whether it be, you know, the the general manager, like having fake Twitter accounts tweeting about players or, you know, whatever it may be. And now it's our player just doesn't want to shoot and now he doesn't want to play for the team. So it's like, there's always something going on. So it was hard to have expectations for this year. Like the main expectation was like, hey, like let's trade Ben and then we'll have fun with it, right? Like that's kind of, it seems like everyone's just waiting for that ball to drop. And once that drops, then everyone will be like, take the sigh of relief and then have fun with it again. But um, I mean, Embiid's being Embiid, like for the early part of the season, he looked like he wasn't right yet. Um, I don't know if that was like conditioning or whatever, maybe, but he got COVID and then, which is horrible, came back, said he had like bad symptoms, had a bad time. But since he's been back, I mean, he's been absurd. He's been the best player in the league, I think, and then little stretch the last I don't know, two weeks, three weeks. He's been absolutely lighting it up, carried them the last, I think they're on a seven game win streak right now. Um, so, I mean, you can't, it's hard. Like there's no expectations going into the season. Cause you're like, this isn't a complete team because they don't have that trade yet. So, um, I mean, I'm happy with Embiid. There's obviously a couple other fun parts of the team. You know, you got Maxi and, and, you know, Thibel starting to grow a little bit. So you have some other guys putting pieces together, but, um, you know, they're just kind of, I feel like everyone's just kind of waiting for that trade ball to drop. It's been so tough. Cause you have like 
this big dick energy and Daryl Morey, who's like coming out of the gate saying like four years, I got nothing but time. He's under contract. He's not going anywhere. And I kind of like compare that to what the Nets said with Kyrie with it before the season. It's like Kyrie's not playing. He's not a part of the team until he's a full-time player and committed. Like now that the season has like unfolded and you see the way that Joel Embiid's playing very similar to the way the Nets see Kevin Durant playing and they have potential. They have, they are a title contender. When you have a top three, potentially top number one player in the league on your team, you can't mess with that. You can't just like sit here and try and hardball that, especially with the injury history that he's had. Like he could deteriorate at any point, and then you're looking into a way darker future. So to try and play yeah. hardball, I understand you want to increase the trade value. He said he wants a top 25 player in return. I understand it. You know, Ben Simmons at his peak. No, he can't shoot. He doesn't want to shoot. I understand it. He's an all NBA player. He's an incredible talent. Yeah. He is a six foot 10 behemoth running the floor like a, a gazelle. Like those players don't just walk around. I understand that you don't want to trade him for CJ McCollum. You've made that pretty goddamn clear for every conversation that we've had. (laughs) Um, It's just tough because at some point something has to give. And I I don't see it going into the off season. You're sitting here at the five seed in the East. COVID has taken the season rampant. And this really could be anybody's season at any point. So it's like, why wait if a player like, I don't know if you can somehow snag away like a De'Aaron Fox type or a Tyrese Halliburton from the Kings and package in like a Harrison Barnes or whatever. Same thing with, with um, the Timberwolves, you know, I'm personally not a huge fan of D'Angelo Russell, but he's at least an offensive player can play the two guard and kind of, maybe that'll help him be more efficient than you bring in like an actual six man, like Malik Beasley. Like, I don't necessarily know what that looks like, but something has to give at some point because sitting here and just, playing the long game with Joel Embiid, I just think is a absolutely terrible idea. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, Maury's an incredibly smart guy. And I think sometimes he postures a little too much and, it, and is too loud with his posturing. So like, you know, he also doesn't give a shit, right? So we, we, we don't know what the communications look like behind the scenes. He might be begging for trade for trades behind the scenes. Um, and it seems like, I mean, there's a lot of smoke right now with I don't know, Atlanta and John Collins, just because salaries match and he doesn't seem to be too happy with it with his, um, not play time, but like his um, role over there. And then, you know, you have all the, the Kings are always a mess. So they're always looking to shake it up and, and do something. So it seems like there's stuff there, but it's not quite what he wants. And so it's going to come down to like, does he think he can get it at the trade deadline? Because he'll have offers at the de- deadline. It's just going to be, is this a kick the can season? Or is it like, okay, this is probably the best offer I'll have? Because I, I, if I'm being honest, I think it's going to be a trade in the offseason. I don't think they're going to do it at, at the deadline. Um, I think more big players will be available in the offseason, and that's kind of when teams will be able to sit down and look at their full roster. But um, I don't know. I would rather it be at the All-Star break, just kind of everyone washes their hands of it. But, um, but yeah, I, who really knows what that's going to look like? It'll be a three-teamer. It'll be crazy. There'll be a ton of salaries going around. But um, – I don't know. I think we're all just kind of ready to move on. When it comes to Ben, like, because he's so talented, but because he's such, like, a atypical player, like, he has to have the team essentially built around him. You have to play a very certain style, otherwise it's not going to work, which really limits a lot of those teams when it comes to trade talks. You just don't you, – you can't just say, like, oh, yeah, all NBA talent. Like, obviously, yeah. all 29 other teams are involved in it. Like, no, realistically, you're down to, like, four five yeah. teams you said the hawks you like kings were said timberwolves like you hear the like the bullshit rumor of just pure philly saying like oh yeah jalen brown like what's the jalen brown like no 
I I've said it before in the last podcast, like you're not just going to trade Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum when you have two 24 year old superstars, yeah. just because like they play the same style. Like now it doesn't make sense. I think that's like a pipe dream. It's very similar to like the Dame Lillard situation. Like, yeah, you can go say you want Dame Lillard, but you don't just trade Dame Lillard if he doesn't want to get traded. Like superstars don't get traded like that. And I think for Ben, like, because he is that type of player, you're not going to get an all-star caliber player in return. You're going to get like that tier below. That's why you've heard CJ McCollum. That's why you heard D'Angelo Russell, the De'Aaron Fox types. Uh, if I were Philly, I'd kind of swing a little bit more for the fences. I go a little bit younger. If you can somehow get like Tyrese Halliburton, I mm-hmm. love Tyrese Halliburton, who we're going to get a little bit more onto the seat, into the podcast. I just, it's just at a certain point, something does have to give in the off season. Yes, there are, more options but for ben there aren't like he's just that type of player like just because more players are going to be open those teams just aren't in on ben like the lakers aren't magically just going to have like trade assets to trade for ben simmons like unless you're like a tht fan and he is a scrub but that's beside the point exactly like and that's the thing like it's so tough right like his philly loved ben forever and and i like him i think he's a cool dude he's he brings that different like that la swagger with him um, which I think is was like a cool little opposite of Embiid, who's that kind of like working class hero type guy. Um, so they were cool for a while. You know, he's a gamer. He's like sponsored by FaZe, like, or he, he, might, he might be an investor in FaZe. Like, he's just like a cool guy and I like to support him. Um, obviously, shit went south in Philly and, you know, whether that be like mental struggles, which have been noted or, um, you know, him just being fed up and just kind of being that kind of drama. Like, you know, I just want a fresh start. I think a lot of it was probably um, ill-advised from Clutch and Rich Paul. Like, I think they kind of overplayed their hand at the start where they're like, we're just not going to play. Like, I, I think if he was playing right now, if they were like, if he was like, I'm not doing any media availability, you can find me as much as you want for that. I'm not going to speak to anyone. I'm not going to speak to the teammates, but I'll play. If he did that, I guarantee it would already be a trade right now because yeah. people, all they remember is him not taking that dunk against Trey Young, which which is a very valid point to only remember that he was just so in his head that he was just like moving the ball around, but that's all they remember. And then it's become a meme at this point. Like that's what happens. Like the NBA is such a short um, attention span. That's like whatever just happened is what's always been. And like, that's not the case. He's just a, he's such a weird player. He doesn't shoot, but he does everything else at almost an elite level. So it's like, he's going to go somewhere that has like a top scoring point guard or a great wing who gets that last shot. And like, he's going to look amazing. And then I guarantee people are going to be like, why did all oh, the Sixers didn't do it right? He just doesn't fit with a big man who demands the ball that much. And on a team that doesn't have a gifted point guard, you know, they tried, they tried with Fultz that didn't work out. They tried, you know, Jimmy Butler, who was like a primary ball handler that didn't really work out. So, you Yikes. know, with, that's a whole other issue. I'm not going to dive into Shout out Jimmy. But so they tried and, and stuff. And I, I just think, um, yeah, as far as the trades go, maybe the Spurs and Deontay Murray could be interesting. Um, but I feel like the Sixers are just going to really be under underwhelmed by any trade they get um, unless they package firsts and, and young players. But I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just going to be they probably have to lower the scope. I don't know if they're going to get a top 25 player, but they need to shoot for someone younger that could shoot the ball a bit. And, uh, and I think people will probably be happy with it. 100%. There are two things that I like that you just pointed out. I love the the clutch factor because people forget how like big clutch is and the agency factor. And like yeah. even looking back to Anthony Davis, who like just flat out requested a trade, said like, yeah, no, nah, like get me the hell out of New Orleans. Like, nah, I'm good. Thanks. And yeah. you saw the haul that New Orleans got with like just the insane amount of talent that went the other way with Lonzo Ball, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, and just like first for days. And that's just 
not available for Ben Simmons. It just, no. it never will be. And I think that Rich Paul was like, oh, I did for Anthony Davis. I can easily do it for Ben Simmons. He was an all NBA player. It's like Anthony Davis at his peak, which granted it was for some reason, only the 2020 bubble was a arguably top five player in the league, a two-way force and mm-hmm. won them a championship. So that works out 10 times out of 10, but you're not getting a future all-star in Brandon Ingram, a future all-NBA player in Julius Randle, a two-way force of Lonzo Ball, and first for Ben Simmons. It's just not happening. And yeah. I don't care if Ben's shooting threes, that's not happening. Like, yeah. it just isn't. So I think for him, like, Clutch kind of definitely overplayed their hand, and Maury also overplayed their hand. Like, they both were wrong, and now yeah. they're both just, like, doing a full big dick contest of, like, well, who can hold out the longest? And I don't understand. It's and then, tough. like, for... The Sixers, there are two things for, I don't know, for them, from like a surprise factor for me that I think people kind of get overshadowed. Like Maxi has stepped up into the number two role, mm-hmm. and that has completely taken over the offense. This team has missed a full, quote-unquote, alpha point guard, and the mental aspect of Ben on the court has always been a detractor for him. He has been compared to Draymond Green on the defensive end. They, have, they are so similar when it comes to like – play style and body type they're mainly great wing defenders they can body down low they're great rebounders and they have great passing iq the reason that draymond green is in the argument of best defense player of all time is that man is an absolute dog he does not care if you're seven foot seven six foot he is in your grill every single time and will not back down from any challenge the unfortunate reality of ben simmons went four games in the playoffs and didn't take a fucking shot in the fourth quarter like that doesn't happen. Like I, mm-hmm. it shouldn't. So that is what separates him from being that next level to where he can be this all NBA consistent year in year out. And you look at a guy like Maxi, who's only 21 years old and was given the keys a little bit because they really didn't have a choice to give it to anybody else. And it's that mentality change. Like Embiid hasn't had somebody with that kind of mentality of, yeah, I got you. Don't worry about it. Like mm-hmm. I'll take care of it. And it's just, it's insane to see that at such a young age of 21 years old to be able to do that. But it's like, he's still so young. He's still growing. It's like to have him play the number two role, that's not winning you a championship. Like at the current no, moment, it's like it's not. just not. And then the guy who should be playing the number two role, which is the unfortunate Tobias Harris, who is just the, I mean, I you have to say it's the worst contract in the NBA. You just have to. You, yeah, you probably do, and it's it's it sounds silly because he's still a solid player, and on some teams he would be a great player, but he has been and and like you look at the numbers, like his numbers are they might some of them might even be better than last year. It's just he is, and I hate to sound this because I think a lot of NBA fans say this as like and don't really look into it, but like he's such an empty stats player that like when you watch the games and like. Those, you know, yeah, he might have like a 10 rebound game. It's a 20 and 10 game, right? You look at it. None of that comes in the fourth. It's not clutch. It's not like he bodies someone for a rebound and like, he's not doing the grit work. And he, for whatever reason, stopped like quick twitch movements. He doesn't now, every time he gets the ball, he's like dribbling and like dribbling back and down into the post. And he's trying to take mid-range jumpers. And he's, when he's at his best, he's taking quick threes and he's, you know, He's just not, doesn't have it. And he's not the great fit for the team. And they paid him a shitload of money. And I think that was because they were extremely nervous of losing him and Jimmy Butler in that same off season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
obviously, you know, there was like a, I think a lot of people are like, oh, they chose Toby over, over Butler. And that wasn't the case. Butler was like, there's no effing way I'm playing with Ben Simmons because he was such a baby about not having the ball. So he was obviously not putting up with that. And Bede was pissed about it, but they were like, all right, we need to keep one. Let's just give Tobias as much money as they had. And I think that was like an Elton brand complete miss. You know, is he a terrible player? No, but the contract really does suck. With contracts come expectations. And I've talked about this with Rudy Gobert. Like when you get paid, when you enter a certain, like essentially a tax bracket, when you enter that bracket, if you're not living up to that expectation, you just get bodied. Like people yeah. look at that Kevin Love contract and like injuries. Now he's, and also it's role acceptance. Like what comes with that role, if you are able to accept it and dominate it, like go ahead, all the power to you. With Tobias signing that five-year, $150 million contract, you are making $30 million a year. Like you need to be an all-star. Hundred year in 180. Hundred and eighty. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Like you need like I like that doesn't make sense. Like no, understand where you are. Like you're an all-star caliber quote unquote player when you get paid like that. And he's he's down in every single stat. He's averaging less points, he's averaging 18 points compared to 20 last year. He's averaging seven boards compared to nine last year. He is averaging the same assists at four, but he's a black hole on offense. He completely yeah. stops everything on offense and he, he has no flow he has not set a single screen has no idea what he's doing on offense he runs the wing he like you said as soon as he gets the ball there's no quick pull up there's no quick jab step and get to the hole it's let me just take two three four five dribbles and just like back somebody down and do a quick like step back mid-range it's atrocious yeah. to watch he completely forgot how to shoot the ball because now he's going from off the catch to now pulling up from three. He's shooting 29% from three compared to 38% last year. And I think a huge factor of that is Ben. Ben, while has his flaws, is an incredible playmaker, was hitting Tobias on every angle possible, and he was doing exactly what he did. He's a career 37% three-point shooter. Like, he can shoot threes, and he was getting wide open constantly. And now, while Maxi is still developing, Tobias has to create that offense on his own, and he just can't because he's just not that type of player. And Tobias has been by far the biggest disappointment. And I know today uh, we were talking about that Bobby Marks rumor with um, saying that Tobias was going to be attached to Ben Simmons in a future trade. That's $80 million that you have to move off of. Who in their right mind, three team, four team, five team, like that is so much money. You can move a bad contract for a bad contract. You saw with Russ and John Wall, just mm -hmm. adios, Rivaderci, like make it happen. But like, bro, you cannot move eighty million dollars. Like, just snap your fingers. Like, it's not yeah. an option. You like, you have to find a team. Like, Tobias is going to move to it. Like, a, a, a rebuilding team isn't going to take Tobias because he doesn't fit the rebuild. A contender unless, isn't unless you give him picks. That's the only other thing. Is that are they going to truly? unload the contract and give assets to get off of it you know that that to me maybe they won't do it now maybe in the offseason they get into it if there are other players that they're trying to chase a free agency that's the only thing that i could think of that they could get off of it a three-team teal would be super difficult unless like the thunder come along and they're like yeah we'll take them and you know give us fucking five firsts and who you know whoever for it but i don't think that's going to happen i i think it's a pipe dream to get off toby at this point no, I mean, right now, your your best bet is to keep him and hope that he understands his role as the number three. You have to hope that you get a quote-unquote number two or a de facto, like, two, three. Say, for example, D'Angelo Russell comes in the picture, and you're looking at a starting lineup of Maxi, Russell, 
Thibel, Tobias, and Embiid. In that role, Tobias is in theory the fourth option, which he can be efficiently. Then you bring in also Seth Curry off the bench. So Tobias can, yeah, his stats will drop down and like, no, he'll never live up to that contract, but you have to at least get some form of efficiency out of him. And if he can be a 50, 40, 80 player, because he's, he's a decent free throw shooter, he's not an elite one, but mm-hmm. if he's going to shoot 40% from three and becomes that just like, okay, my job's to score, my job is to make quick decisions, pass the ball if I can't do it. He's a good Agreed. rebounder. He's got a big body. He's pretty athletic, but he obviously can't guard in the wing. But that's, that's why you got Thibault. If he can do that and you leave the offensive running to two great ball handlers of Maxi and D'Angelo Russell, Maxi, for being so young, has almost a three to one assist to turnover ratio, which is pretty absurd. So giving him a little bit more expansion. Then you have D'Angelo Russell. Like that makes sense in that role. And I think that's something that the Sixers kind of need to lean toward because that's a win now team. And it puts Tobias in a position to not hurt you as much as he can. And also with Maxi being on his rookie deal for another two years, in that time, Tobias is a free agent. Maxi gets into his contract extension and then the money works out. So like mm-hmm. it kind of works in the short term and long term. But I think there are just so many rumors and so much bullshit speculation that it's essentially going to be like a when it happens, it happens kind of thing. And we're all just going to yeah. just look at it like, oh, shit, it's done. We're at that time of year where there's going to be, you know, I'll, I'll be screenshotting every Woj and Shams and Stein and every single tweet I see to you just because it's fun to talk about. But 85, 90, 95% of them are not going to come true. It's just fun to talk. It's all chatter. Um, and you're right. Like, the, like Tobias can be great. He, he can be great on a team like, like this, but it's just quick decisions. Like, if you're not – like, I'm starting to realize because of the Toby thing, like, you don't pay wings or power forwards or anyone that big that kind of money unless they're the star of the team. Like, because if you're if like, you can't put the ball on the ground and dribble as much as he does. And, you know, if you're not playmaking, if you're not shooting well off the dribble, if you're not a ball stopper, and that's exactly what he is, you know, the, you have to pay your guards and your center, whoever the, the big, big money, and then get the wings around and just get the quick decisions, the shot chuckers, and, like, the 3 and D guys. Like, that's it. Like, I would rather have another Thibel, even though Thibel can't fucking shoot. I'd rather have Thibel, two Thibels instead of a Thibel and a Tobias, just because they're shot chuckers. They they should be. Maybe Thibel's not shooting as much as he should be. But then you just have an elite defender, and it's just quick decisions. And that might be a better team. I mean, you look at teams, the best teams in the league, the ball just goes. It's hard to follow sometimes. And they don't have that. You know, so it's 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 tough right now. But Maxi's been a bit been a fun point, and we'll talk more about him later, I'm sure. Yeah, and then my uh, my last two things is I got to bring up an old take from just so long ago. Wait, of- I, all right. So I was gonna <laughs> say this. I was gonna bring this up. I was gonna bring this up and say how horrible it's aged, and how much I would pull it back if I could. So I'm Absolutely. just gonna preface it. I'm just gonna preface it. All right, go ahead, Rose. That's fine. Um, so back in the 2017 draft, um, the Sixers had just moved up in the draft and traded, obviously, for Markel Fultz uh, to, for the rights to, to draft Markel Fultz. And the Celtics moved back and draft Tatum at three. I am a UNC fan. I was obsessed, obsessed with Jason Tatum. Everything he did, I called him a Carmelo Anthony Cologne. Everything about him was just alpha scorer. He had that weird release where he like swung the ball up, but his she was as he's six foot eight and he was shooting the ball almost like a seven foot apex. Like it didn't, just didn't make sense. And you couldn't block him. And he was only 19. And it's, I don't know. He, I loved everything about him. And then a year later, 
that's when they trade for Tobias Harris, the 76ers, and make that full deal. And Sean looks at me and says, yo, I think if Tatum like puts in the work, like he can be Tobias Harris. I don't, I was speechless. I, I had think no... what I said, I, I think I, I said a less athletic or a more athletic Tobias. Like I said something like that, because obviously he's 10 times more athletic, but I really did think that Tobias Harris was a great player and going to be an all-star like moving forward for a few seasons because of that season he had under Doc at the, at the Clippers that he had such a good season. And I had personally seen him put up like multiple 40 point games. And I was like, this guy can get a bucket. Like, I think this is a guy like similar size to Tatum, not as athletic. I was like, yo, I think that that's kind of a solid comparison to your credit. You roasted the fuck out of me. Then I deserved it. And now looking at it, it's a dumb comparison, but you know, they kind of have similar games, but it obviously is, uh, is, is very off base. And I was waiting for that to come this night. I will give you that. Like from a player comp perspective, like those like 40 games of Tobias Harris on the Clippers, like the dude was low key and all-star. Like he was averaging 22, like almost essentially 22 and 10, but like he, he tricked me. He tricked me looking around that team. Like you kind of had to like, it's, it's like looking at Jeremy Grant, like on the Pistons right now. Like I'm not looking at Jeremy Grant saying like, yo, that dude can be a number one option for somebody. Like someone's got to score the ball. Like mm-hmm. someone has to put the ball in the basket at some point. So like the argument we made, same thing with Colin Sexton last year, like the dude averaged 24 points. We were absolute dog shit. Like we could not score. So someone's got to score the ball. Efficiency is a huge factor in that. If you can score efficiently with those empty stats, it does carry weight. Uh, Tobias shot decent, but I think in a major role, like Jason Tatum is that type of player that you I, in, in theory, you expect a Tobias Terrace type to be of that alpha mega scorer being able to score off the dribble because that's what he's getting paid to do. And because Tobias just does that so poorly and is like the highest paid role player of all time, like, oh, like his agent should get be in the fucking Hall of Fame. He should get paid an exuberant yeah. amount of money. He deserves that Tobias contract, not Tobias. Agreed. I agree. I agree. So I, then, I, I I will publicly fully rescind that comparison. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, last question, pretty straightforward. Uh, is there any chance this team's a title contender this year? So I'll give it like a 1% just on the shot that they have a top, I don't know, whoever you're arguing with, maybe a top five, top three, top one player in the league. So anyone who has that top player in the league, maybe you have a shot on any given night, but the league is so deep this year and the last, you know, two, three years, the league has been so deep that I really don't think that the rest of their roster is good enough to, um, you know, there's not enough role players around him to, for him to be like, okay, for multiple series, he's going to put, you know, 35 a night, you know, like that he's not, Max, he's not ready to step up. He might have a good game, but have a good series, but he's not going to have three good series, you know? So like, they're at the point where I know I don't think there's any shot. I'll give it 1% just because Embiid's a psycho and, and maybe he carries them, you know, maybe through the first round, maybe through the second round. But I don't think, I don't think if they're going up against, I don't know, there's a ton of teams in the, in the East that I think it could catch, could catch them on any night. So I don't think so. I agree with you just on the low chance of like, when you have Joel Embiid, anything's possible. Like you look back at like what LeBron James was able to carry back 2007 of like Drew Good and Sasha Pavlovich and like Mo fucking Williams, like let's calm mm-hmm. down here. Like obviously the, the league has changed and the game has changed, and I understand that. But I feel like whenever you have a player like Joel Embiid, a two-way force that really nobody can play against, um, you're going to give yourself a chance. But unless a Ben trade is made or Ben somehow decides that he's going to sing Kumbaya with Philadelphia, like there's, there's just no yeah. way that this team even 
I don't think this team like sniffs like these conference finals like at all. I don't think so either. There's too many good teams, too many cohesive teams. I mean, I I, I think the Bulls would watch them. I think the Bucks would watch them. I think like there's so many, you know, even like some of those sneaky eight seeds, like the Hornets would scare the shit out of me. Like there's teams like that that like, yeah, Embiid might be the best player on, on the court, but the you know, two, three, four, five, six next best players might be on the other side. So yeah. it's you know, it's tough. So I, you know, this year is kind of a wash and uh hoping Embiid doesn't get hurt and watching Maxi grow. That's kind of where I'm at, at least as a fan. I'm with that. I mean, I definitely think that there's there's at least a bright future, which I feel like for Philadelphia, like there was always like the win now, win now, then there was the process. There's really no in-between. I think you guys are definitely in that in-between phase right now of like trying to be a title contender, but also still focusing on youth development when you have when you have a guy like Maxi that you hit on in, in the yeah. late 20s. Like that's dope. That's an awesome get. Um, Seth Curry's having a career year. So there's there are definitely positives in this and Joel Embiid like fighting for the MVP. Like there's a there's a huge amount of positives, but the future of this team depends on that Ben Simmons trade. And that uh, would terrify me as a fan. So uh, I'm sorry in advance. We uh, listen, I'm, I'm used to disappointment as a Philadelphia fan. So it's just a uh, par for the course. We'll see what happens. I understand. Uh, now I've been talking about this for a long time. I am very excited uh, to get into this start bench cut series. Uh, we are going to be featuring, like I said before, five different matchups and breaking it down to see uh, who you guys would start bench cut uh, after the podcast is on. Put it, up, put it in the comments, go on Instagram. Let us know what you guys think, uh, what you guys would do. Uh, first one, uh, I saw this one on Twitter. Uh, Trey Young, Ja Morant, or Luka Doncic, start, bench, or cut? You want me to start? Yeah, rock it out. You want me to go all three or one at a time? Go all three. All right. So I think still, so as I was saying earlier, I think the NBA is a what have you done for me late, lately league. And if they're not in the highlights ever, ever every night, People will kind of forget who you are or forget how good you've been. So in that in that status, I'm kind of I'm still starting Luca. Um, I think you know, I, like looking at his full stat line, it still shocks me as how good he's been. And yeah, some of it's been dropped a bit. Um, you know, his three point percentage has dropped a bit, but all his other stats are better or as good as they were last year. And he was being called an MVP all season. So, you know, I, I, I think as his supporting cast has been really dog shit this year um, and they absolutely need to figure that out. That's another conversation, but that Luke has been o- o- overlooked. So I think that um, he's so big and he's so different. He's not a unicorn quite, but because he's got so much size and he's, and he's got the playmaking and he's clutch, I, I, I'd still start him. Um, for bench, I'm going to bench Trey. So I think you you might have thought that I'm, I might have benched Ja, um, and I'm I love Ja. I think Ja is going to be a, a psychopath for ten straight years, fifteen straight years. Um, but at this point, Trey is too good. He's shooting thirty seven percent, which I, I kind of wish he was shooting a little bit higher than that. Um, he's taking what like eight threes a game, so it's still a great percentage. Averaging 28, 4, and 10 assists. The 10 assists is just too good. His playmaking, he's too important to that Hawks team. If you if you take him off that Hawks team and you replace him with Ja, I'm not sure where they'd be. Like, I'm curious. I would that's, That'd be a good social experiment. But I think Trey right now is a better player. Maybe not all around, but his what he's elite at, he's much better than Ja at. Um, and I love Ja, but I'm going to cut him. Um, his efficiencies are way up, which is awesome. Like, his, I, he was like a 31% from three. Now he's like a 38, taking more shots, um, you know, 50% from the field. So I think he's got a great future. So, it, you know, I don't want to cut the guy. But I think – and maybe this will change end of this year or into next year. But um, that, that that's where I'm at right now. Uh, so we differ. Um, I completely agree with Luca. I think that 
when when your down year is 25, 8, and 8, and you're playing with the likes of like Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, like Dorian Finney-Smith, and like full stop, yeah, and and like the ghost of Kristaps Porzingis, like there's no way in hell that this dude is not being started in any single matchup mm-hmm. against these guys. Like it just he can do everything on the floor. He's improved his defense. He's actually an above average defender when it comes to player efficiency. Which when you look at him, like he just looks clunky, but he kind of gets that same mold as like Jokic. Jokic has improved his defense tremendously, and for being just a big bodied like burly like european they're mm-hmm. you know rumored to be slow-footed like lucas low-key athletic so for him yeah. to be able to do that control the entire offense and his on-off splits when he's not on the court are better than trays and completely better than i think he was the top three compared to Jokic as well as giannis um just those on-off splits are it, absolute insane so you have to start luca in that scenario uh, i am benching ja uh, I have always prioritized defense in any single play. Uh, we've talked for years. Uh, I'll take it, take one of the chin of, we've talked before, would you take Anthony Davis or Steph Curry? Um, I've always taken Anthony Davis. Obviously, Steph Curry is a generational talent in every way, shape, and form, but the two-way impacts cannot be overstated, and I've always focused on that. Um, mm-hmm. Trey Young is the worst defender in the NBA. It is, he's been that way for years. I don't care if you are a Steph Curry light. You are a matchup liability. And that's why I believe Trey Young will never win a championship in any way, shape or form throughout his entire career. He's going to be one of those players that will not win a championship because when it comes down to the nitty gritty, he will be put into a pick and roll in every single situation in the fourth quarter. And he is going to get dogged. There's nothing he can do. He can't stop. It's kind of interesting in that just quickly that he's kind of the, the opposite of Ben Simmons, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, Ben has maybe the playmaking, maybe they're similar or whatever, but defense and offense, it's like you have to hide Ben on offense and you have to hide Trey on defense Mm -hmm. because they're just going to get targeted on those ends of the court. And like in the same way that Ben needs a team to build around him, I think Trey also needs a team to be built around him. You know, a lot of of really heavy three and D guys around him. I agree, but even in that aspect, like championship level teams will – exploit that weakness over and over and over until you can do something to stop it. For example, like in current situation, I look at the Sixers versus the Hawks. Like I'm taking the Sixers 10 times out of 10, just based on the fact of if I look at a Maxi Embiid pick and roll versus a Trey Young and Clint Capella pick and roll. Capella, while yes, he can anchor a defense, he can't anchor, he can't guard two players at the same time. Like what is Trey Young going to do in a pick and roll situation? Is he going to switch on to Maxi? Is he going to try and front Joel Embiid in the post. Like there's, there's physically nothing he can do. And John Moran has stepped up so tremendously insane. He has leveled up. He's gone super staying that two handed block where he touched the top of the fucking backboard with his head. He like smacked himself. He LeBron said he had rockets in his calves. Do you see how athletic that man is? Like, and just the Same. juice that he has with that Grizzlies team. He is a plus defender. He's uber athletic. He has Russell Westbrook athleticism, but he's actually doing it on the defensive end. He's improving his shooting. He's up in everything. He's fighting for an all-star caliber starting mm-hmm. spot. Like he's just that kind of dude. And you see the impact that he makes on defense. And I'm going to take that over Trey Young all day. That's fair. That's completely fair. I, I, if I'm starting a team, I would take, I would take Jaw. Um, maybe maybe not over Luca, but like Ja, I just thought because this season and, and what Trey excels at, you know, he's he's probably better than Ja at what he excels at the most. But Ja's going to be a psycho for a long, long time. I'm with that. Next up, 
a three-man lineup of Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, and DeMar DeRozan. Start, bench, cut. Uh, I'm going to go first here. Um, I am fully just immersing myself in the moment. I am ripping off the shirt. I am putting on a DeMar DeRozan Chicago Bulls jersey. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm here for it. If you don't love DeMar DeRozan, then you don't love basketball. Like, seeing him essentially, like, being the sacrificial lamb of Toronto, going away to San Antonio, going into a basketball purgatory of having to play with the ghost of Pau Gasol and Marcus Aldridge for he was a like put years. It, They, like, shoved him, like, under a rock somewhere for a couple of years. People forgot he existed. But he was so good, too. He was playing, like, the lead playmaker role because he didn't have a point guard. He was averaging 22. He's playing power forward, but also playing point guard. And he's averaging 22, 6, and 6 while shooting 50%. He's, he was so good, but they won a championship, and that's so, so sad. And to see him go to Chicago and thrive in a 1A, 1B lineup with him and Levine, uh, being the alpha dog, playing in the offense, being the clutch, the most clutch fourth-quarter player in the NBA. Like, Oh, easily. He's, he's never been that close. He's number one in points, number one in free throws made, number one in – baskets made in the last five minutes of the game like he is doing everything you see the one-footed three-pointer from 30 feet out like back-to-back nights like i feel like every night i turn on espn a top 10 highlight is like a one-footer just chuck and just easy shot for him it's he's he's on a new level this, this year and the biggest thing for me is that he's finally average on defense for nine straight years in a row he's been a below average defender and a complete liability and for him to finally be played in a position to succeed I think I do put a little bit of credit to Popovich by playing him out of position at power forward I think it works out for him in the long run here because especially with Patrick Williams being hurt and their best lineup has been with Crusoe on the court Lonzo on the court obviously leaving on the court and DeRozan he's mm-hmm. had to play a little bit out of four but the matchups on offense are incredible. He's exploiting everything under the sun, and I'm going tomorrow all day, every day. Um, I am benching Jimmy Butler. I'm benching Jimmy Butler. Um, when you think winning basketball, you think Jimmy Butler. You picture that like that photo of him like hunched over on the stanchion where he's just like giving everything he had in the 2020 finals to try and will, will that team to victory to essentially mm-hmm. say like a big old fuck you to the Philadelphia 76ers. Sorry. Yep. Um, like, Fair. He he's an all NBA player. He's a five-time all NBA defensive player. Like he can get you 25. He can get you seven assists. He can get you 10 boards. Like there's nothing that Jimmy Butler cannot do on the offensive and defensive end. And because DeMar is so good that he's playing himself into the MVP category is really the only reason that I didn't start Jimmy. Like I wanted to start Jimmy so bad because Jimmy just, plays winning basketball he can go to any team he went to the timberwolves and they made the playoffs that team was dog shit like carl anthony towns is just god again i don't want to talk about it like (laughs) jimmy butler just can do anything on a basketball court can guard legitimately one through five and those kind of players do not grow on trees you think giannis you think draymond you think jimmy in those kind of conversations and to cut jimmy butler would be a complete sin so i'm benton jimmy and because of that, Tatum has to go. It's unfortunate because he is the youngest of the group. So I think that definitely 
kind of hurts him in this situation uh, because he has taken a step back compared to last year. He is averaging less points. His field goal percentage is down by four points. He's shooting a lot more threes, and he's kind of having that ego fight with Jalen Brown to be like, no, I'm the number one. I'm the number one. And then you look at the comparison that, like, DeRozan and Levine are doing, and they're just, like, completely like, no, you, your turn, mm-hmm. dude. Like, come on, you got this. It's like they are completely meshing, and that's winning basketball, while Jalen and um, Tatum are just completely – feeding against each other and saying like now nah, i'm gonna go it's it's it doesn't make sense like those two can be so successful but i think until they get like a true playmaking point guard or if the worst case scenario of one of them does go i think that's really where it has to go right now this team is just not built for it but right now tatum's got to go yeah we we differ a little bit um so i'm gonna start jb jimmy baller i uh the guy's a winner like we talked about i don't gotta go too deep into it the dude every team he's gone to he calls people out he raises the defense he raises the grit um he it's it's so weird because he's a winning player and it feels like he's also like a great shooter and a great but he's not like the dude is a brick from three but for some reason like he's not a liability like it's like the weirdest thing playmaking is great he like, you know, he looks like he's a guard, but he's like, I don't know, what is he, six, seven? Like he's bigger than he looks. He's a great defender. Like, I love the guy. So I think he's got to be a starter. Um, and in second, I'm gonna go DeMar. You know, I'm benching DeMar. I, you know, Tate, like you said, it's hard because Tatum's the youngest. If we're starting a team, Tatum's the obvious choice, I think, here. But um, you know, DeMar is having an unfucking real year. He's unloading. I don't know how much of that team is. If, if he's carrying them, I mean, Levine's having a great year, Lonzo Ball, Caruso, like they're a whole new team. So we'll have to see how that pans out. But DeMar's having too good of a year. He's too clutch to not at least, you know, for us to give him some some shine here on the Courtside View podcast. I hope that means a lot to him. But yeah, he definitely definitely gets at least a bench slot. Um, and yeah, with Tatum, like I love Tatum as, as a player. I think he's going to be dominant for a long time. Um, for whatever reason, like he hasn't been able to, for a long period of time, carry the team the same way the other two have. Um, like I think even with, you know, at points on the Raptors and on the Spurs, like DeMar has been used to being that number one guy and maybe they haven't been dominant teams, but he's always been kind of carrying them and pulling them along. And Tatum really hasn't done that yet. Like he has spurts of where he looks like a world beater and then he'll just go silent for a while. So, um, yeah, I'm going to bench Tatum, but I, or cut Tatum, I'm sorry, but I think, uh, I think that'll probably change. Maybe like you said, when they get a playmaker and the team, the team is kind of formulated in a better way. hundred percent. Uh, this one's my personal favorite coming up. I think that these are, I'm super interested. I want you to go first on this one because I think it's two of your favorite players and your uh, most all-time favorite 2K player in Zach Levine. Um, <laughs> we have Devin Booker, Zach Levine, and Jalen Brown. Uh, Burn, kick it off. Uh, yeah, so if anyone plays 2K that's listening to this, they know how good Zach Levine is. Um, he's absurd, and for whatever reason, they make him like a god in the game. Um, and I always thought it was weird until the last two years, because he's apparently, like, fulfilling that prophecy. Um, so I'm going to start Levine. I think that's probably a hot take. Um, maybe it's a little too early to say so over some of these guys, but he's been a psycho. His numbers are all up. He's 26, 5, and 4. He's, at times, last year, he was carrying the Bulls, and now he's got a running mate. He almost has two running mates with Ball and, and DeMar. Like, he's been exciting you know, he's clutching himself. What is he shooting? Like 41% from three. Like he's absurd. Um, defense probably needs to take a step up a little bit, but I love the guy. I, I think he definitely deserves a slot this season. Um, I'm going to bench Booker. I think it was kind of obvious between those two. Those are kind of the two for me that are leagues above um, Jalen Brown right now. 
Booker. Say that. I, I know, yes, you're about to argue <laughs> the fuck out of me. But and I, and I love all three of these guys, like a lot. I love these guys. So with Booker, I think because he's not taking as many shots as he normally does, he's he's not getting the highlight, but they're playing way better team. Maybe not way better, but they're playing really cohesive team ball. The Suns have been great. Last season, they were great, but he was kind of that like, you know, yeah, Chris Paul, but like he was the guy, you know. Now all his numbers are even up, his three-pointing's up. Like he looks great, but he's getting to the line a little bit less. So I don't know if that's because he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much. Maybe mm-hmm. CCP is holding on to it a bit more. Um, but I'm going to bench him. He's still a great fucking player. Um, him and Levine were tough for me to ch- decide between. And then I'm going to cut Brown. Um, I love J.J. Jalen Brown. I want the Sixers to do everything in their war chest to get that man on the team. Cause I think the second he's on a team that doesn't have another wing player, that's like Tatum, he's going to be a psychopath. Um, but you know, his shooting efficiency is a little bit down, but he's by far the best defender out of this, this group. I think he has like almost elite defensive ability when he locks into it. Um, and he's having really good year. What is he? 24, seven, three, he hasn't had that spotlight yet, so I can't give him the slot over those two guys. But um, it was really tough to decide. That was that was that was a really hard one. Um, we again differ. Uh, I am starting Levine. Docker. I think I think that um, for Levine, I think you said it best. Like he has leveled up this year, even though his stats are very similar. But I think you just see it in his play, and I think that the best thing that happened to him this year was being around a winning environment and playing in the Olympics. I think you saw him move off the ball. He wasn't playing a point guard. He wasn't being played out of position where he had to create everything. And you saw his turnovers go down. He became an absolute killer playing a three and D role, which he had never had to do before. But when you're playing with the likes of Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant, like no offense, Levine, get the fuck in the corner. Like You're not, you're not bringing the ball up. So for him to be able to step into that role while playing that secondary playmaking role, because you have Lonzo ball, you have DeMar DeRozan and even Vooch. Vooch is a career average of four assists per game. Like he is a damn good passing big man. So for him to kind of like just say, hey, Chuck threes, he's shooting eight threes per game and he's shooting 43% from three. Like after shooting the same same kind of volume last year, shooting a little more of the dribble, shooting 41 to increase mm-hmm. that is pretty damn impressive. So yeah. I'm going to he's a potential 40, uh, 50, 40, 90 guy. And those kind of just, just don't walk on trees. And for him to be an average defender, very similar to Mar, I think it's a process of the system and kind of like the hype right now. I do think he is a little bit more of a below defense below average defender um so we'll see how that takes more toward the end of the year but i'm giving levine all the love right now and he's got to start um i am benching jalen brown jalen brown has something about him that just screams superstar to me i think that when when you see him play without jason tatum you see true jalen brown potential and you see what he's able to do when the offense goes through him in that game I believe it was against the Orlando Magic, not even like a week or so ago, where he just popped off for 51 points. He had seven assists. He had eight rebounds. And he made seven threes. He was able to truly be the alpha. And the best part about him is that he is the best two-way player here. He is an, a potential all-NBA caliber defender. He has a similar build to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's got a little bit more muscle on him. But six foot seven, 230, like, that's a big, big dude. He can guard one through four, and that because Booker and Levine just are not good defenders. And I kind of do that same thing of of comparing Brown to Booker. Of I want to look at Booker very similar to what he was able to do before CP3, and he was an NBA stats guy. And I love that he's been able to play winning basketball and be efficient at it and really 
before this year, Booker's never shot over 40% from three, which when you think Devin Booker, you think he's like, oh, dude's like one of the best shooters in the NBA. Like he's never shot above 37% from three. That's like insane to think about when he's been in the league for almost six years. That's true. So now he's finally doing that, but it's because CP3 runs the ball. Like without CP3, like can he still put those numbers up? Can he still be that efficient? And unfortunately, he hasn't proven that he can. Brown has proved that with Tatum or without Tatum, he can score, he can be efficient, he can play all NBA level defense. And that's where I'm going to give it to Jalen. They're both similar playmakers. I'm going to knock Jalen on playmaking. He only averaged three and a half assists compared to like, you know, Booker's four and a half. It's like Mm -hmm. a massive difference. But I think that Brown's overalls game makes a lot more sense versus Booker. So I'm going to cut Booker, sadly. That's fair. Very fair take. Uh, that That was the hardest one I think here to do. Uh, the next one coming up is, I think, the weirdest. I fucking hate <laughs> this one, just to be fair. The weirdest group of names. Uh, when I was putting this together, I kind of just, I was laughing hysterically because it's yeah. Pascal Siakam, Julius Randle, and Tomantis Sabonis. Um, just a, such an eclectic group of names. The fact um, that you two... made me waste my time looking up these stats and, like, clips, like, I, un- unbelievable. These are, you have to understand, there are two all NBA, they're all three all stars. Two of them are all NBA talents at one point. Yep. And Sabonis has been a near cut to third team all NBA. So, like, they're so similar. I in, I, I'm giving myself a lot of credit here to be able to put this one together. Um, I do want to leave this one off. Uh, I'm starting Pascal Siakam. Um, I love Spicy P. I love Spicy P. Spicy P, baby. I, think that his down year so he was an all nba player in 2019 2020 when they won the championship he paired tremendously with Kawhi. um his first year playing in a role by himself um COVID happened and then they had to play in tampa like he that is a complete bullshit season for the raptors and he still averaged he was still an all-star he still averaged 22 9 and 5 while shooting, he's not that great of a shooter. He's shot 30% from three, but he shot 52% from the field. Look at it from that perspective. When you're shooting 52% from the field and shooting 33, I'm sorry, 30% from three, you're a damn efficient player. Yep. He is an all-NBA defender. He is increases a playmaker. When you think Pascal Siakam, you don't think a guy that can average five assists per game. Like, he's just so long, so athletic. He can guard one through five. He's playing a little bit of small ball five this year with the uh, front court of Scotty Barnes and OG Ananubi. And that is like, now you're putting him in that Giannis role. And no, he's not a Giannis type player. Like no one is, but that's a scary front court. The switchability of that with him, Scotty Barnes and OG to like really let him just go at matchups is insane. And it's the two-way ability for me. It always has been. It always will be. I'm very consistent with the way that I think and the way that I do these matchups. Uh, Pascal's two-way ability over Randall and Sabonis um, will always be number one for me. Um, Number two, he's having by far the worst season out of the three. But something about Julius Randall just makes me want to love him. I don't know why. It just makes me, like, the season that he had last year just still – just like I'm not a Knicks fan, but just like breathes magic into like my body of what he was able to do coming out of all this potential from New Orleans. Then he signs this deal for the Knicks. He played kind of decent. And then to just like, oh, I'm a second team all NBA player. No, you're not. Like 24, 10, six assists, 41% from three on mainly step back threes. The dude was another level. He has completely fallen back to earth. 
this year. But I blame that on the entire Knicks team. They changed their identity. They gave him more of a playmaking role. He has no defense around him when you have Evan Fourier, Kevin Kemba Walker, Emmanuel Quickly, and you're benching Mitchell Robinson for Obi Toppin. Like there's the whole team that made him successful, I think is not entirely his fault when you kind of look at the entire grand scheme of things. And RG Barrett has not taken that step up which was expected, which is kind of why they went out of their way to get more offense. They expected R.J. Barrett to step up on defense. And just, I think there are so many factors in it. I think Julius Randle has so much talent and you can't just forget about last year in that sense that I am going to bench Julius Randle. And I hate Sabonis. I just hate him. <laughs> I He's so, like, such an old school big. He's like a wannabe Jokic. He's averaging like 20 points, 12 boards, and like his career high, he's averaged seven assists. He's down to four and a half would be as Rick Carlisle just like says that he can run an offense and that Pacers team is absolute shitty to watch. But Sabonis is arguably the second best, second best passing big man in the league. Um, he's also uh, statistically worse than Nikolai Vucevic on defense. When you're worse than Nikolai Vucevic on defense, please don't look at me. Please don't talk to me if you want to be in this conversation of a start bench cut and think that I'm going to even consider you. He's a two-time All-Star. He's potentially on his way to be a third-time All-Star. But you cannot be the center of the defense. Yes, he pairs kind of weird with Miles Turner, and Miles Turner anchors the, the defense there. But they're not winning basketball games. When you finally remove Miles Turner and you put Sabonis at the five, your defense is going to be absolutely atrocious. So for Sabonis, while, yes, he's a focal point of offense and he can create on his own, if you don't surround him with the perimeter defenders like they are doing for Chicago for Vooch. Like he has no chance of being any chance of being able to play winning basketball. It, just, it can't happen. So Sabonis, you cut. That's fair. This one was such a funny, like going through it, you know, it was, it was a trip, but I'm going to start uh, Siakam. I mm-hmm. think Siakam is by far the best player here. Um, I think people got like a bad taste in their mouth with him recently. There was kind of like a weird news cycle about how he was like in, you know, the trade rumors and he's, you know, never going to be a shooter. So they're looking to, you know, unload him and try to flip. There was some weird Ben Simmons for Siakam shit going on over summer. Like, I would love that if I was Philly. Like, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> exactly. Jesus. I would too. And so, you know, they're like, oh, he's not a shooter. He's kind of similar. I'm like, no, Siakam, I think he's a great player. Great. I think he's a very underrated playmaker, as you said. Um, his shooting numbers are all way up by efficiency and by scoring. Like, I think that he's um, underrated at this point. I, like, you not you never hear shit about the Raptors these days. So I think he's underrated, um, and I'm going to start him. I'm going to bench DeMontis um, Sabonis. I think – Disgusting. Um, I know, I know, I know. Um, I mean, I'm, like, number one, like, Knicks hater here. So, like, that's maybe – you know, if anyone listening hates that Perfect. take, that's why. But, like, I think Sabonis is – while he's old school, I just think he's got some different – he has more juice to him than Randall does. I think he's got more potential in him than Randall does. He does a little bit more, um, and he's done it for more seasons. And what I did think was interesting with, with Sabonis, which kind of gave him the edge, was that he's starting to take a little bit more threes and the percentage mm-hmm. is better. And it's not, a mo- it's not a lot, right? Like maybe it's like, you know, one and a half more threes a game. But the percentages, I think, were, were creeping up a little, little bit to something more respectable. And I think, like, if he starts to extend the range – then we're cooking with some shit, right? Like yeah. if he starts to shoot three, four or five threes a game at the same clip, then we're talking about it. But for right now, you know, I, I, I would take him over Randall who I'm going to cut. Um, I think last year he played great, like stupidly good. He was hitting, he's like, how, how tall is he? Like six, 10, six, yeah, six, 11? six, nine. 
six nine. So he plays bigger even, and he's like hitting step backs and shit. I'm like, like what? So, but I think it was such an obvious outlier. Um, it was fun. I don't think he'll ever do it again. If I'm being very honest, he had it. It it does look. You know, I was looking at the back maybe two seasons ago. He shot really well. Then the season after he shot like shit. Then last year he shot really well. And this year he's shooting like shit. So like, I don't know if that's just going to be like, if he's going to be an every other year type of guy. Um, but I just think that he's probably not the player who, who Knicks fans thought he was last year and who people got excited about. I think he's a very good power forward. I think he, you know, he's a solid defender. I just don't think that he's, he has the same kind of juice that the other two guys have. No, I agree with that. And then just a quick take on uh, Sabonis and Randall. Like Sabonis, I think that Sabonis and, and Randall are kind of both being played in mismatch situations. I think that with because the Knicks drafted Obi Toppin, they're prioritizing Toppin's development over Mitchell Robinson, which is mind-boggling to me because Mitchell Robinson has proven that he can anchor a defense, and he played so well. Mitchell Robinson and Noel played incredibly well as a center rotation last year with Randall, which is why he was so successful because he's not a good defender and he can put more of his energy on offense, and you surround him with shooters and defense. Thibodeau went completely away from it, and that happened. It's the same thing with Sabonis this year. I will give him credit that Sabonis has moved completely away from being the focal point of the offense. The ball's moving more. You're incorporating guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Duarte. You have Karis LeVert now. Miles mm-hmm. Turner is voices vo- saying that he wants to be more involved in the offense. He's shooting more threes. So Sabonis hasn't been the same guy that he's able to, he's still extremely efficient and he is extending that range. I will give him credit, but because he's just a non-factor on defense, I think that if he can kind of like channel his inner, like Andy Barajow of when he's on center, taking charges, being a body, throwing his hand up, he's not going to block shots. He's not going to be able to switch, but if he can do that, I think I can see him being a successful center, kind of like what Vooch has been able to do this year. But if he is playing power forward, it is a doggy dog world, dude. Yeah. If you see him switching onto a guy like, what is he going to guard Durant? Is, is yeah. he going to guard Giannis? Like, is he going to guard these like elite level power forwards? You're at your, he can't even guard Randall or Siakam. Like, yeah. if you can't guard the guys that you're being start bench cut against, don't look at me. Fair, very fair. The last one, the young guns. Yeah, this we're bringing fun. in Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Halliburton, and Cole Anthony. Burn, your boy's in here. I already know where you're going, but I'm very interested to hear you say it. Um, so I think I'm going to shock you here. So I'm going to start Halliburton. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I I love Maxi. I didn't get to talk about him enough earlier when we were doing the Sixers overview. I think Maxi is going to be a dominant player. Eh, maybe not dominant. I think he's going to be a very, very good, good player for a very long, long time. He's kind of in that Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell light, you know, type, type kind of like bucket getter who's like that's like your favorite term is like you like the guys who can just go get a bucket and like mm. that's him and and i i never really understood your love for that until i watched him i'm like you know what he's not a great playmaker he's okay he's you know not a great defender he can hold his own but he gets buckets and like i've the sixers have been so missing that for so long i forgot what it felt like and then watching him put up like 30 plus point games you know hit, taking the threes when people are going under the screens and stuff he's been great but Hal Burden, I think, is bigger. He's got way better playmaking ability. His shot making is way better at this point. I mean, he's shooting, what, 44% or something from three this year. He's been absurd. Um, And his seven assists shocked me. I think it was like 6.8, but I'm going to round that up to seven. I think he, if he gets on a team away from Fox, something that's he's kind of the more primary ball handler, he could really shock people. So I'm going to start him. Um, although that was tough. I'm going to bench Maxi. Um, 
admittedly, I don't watch Cole Anthony as much as I probably should. Um, so I did have to go like watch some game clips and, and, you know, like looking at the stats, some stuff shocked me. So you might, you will be able to give a little bit more insight here. Um, I think they're all very similar players here. Cole Anthony is a shot chucker. He's taking like eight threes a game, which is awesome, like for his development. And I think he's probably asked to do way more on that team than Max. He's asked to do on the Sixers, at least at this point. Um, I think at this point, I just prefer Maxi and his athleticism. He's, I feel like he's one of the fastest players. He's got the floater down lock. He's starting to hit the threes at a way better clip than I thought. So I prefer Maxi. Um, but Cole Anthony, you know, his percentage went up, his shooting went up. Um, he's like a 26 and six guy. That was tough. I know you're a UNC guy, so you got more shit to say to me. So where, 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 where's your mind out here? Uh, it's the first time we agree. Really? Yeah. This is the first time uh, we agree. Uh, I am going to start Halliburton. I think that his game, it won his size. I think he is the best size of everyone here. He's very skinny, yeah. but he's six foot five. And I think that he'll eventually come to his frame. Uh, he's been able to be physical down low. Um, he is, he is so young to be able to understand his role as a true playmaking point guard. Like that just doesn't happen to be able to do what he's doing, but also shooting so extremely efficiently at 44% with that weird ass quirky jump shot. It mm-hmm. like just looks hideous to, but Holy shit, it goes in. He's incredible. He's averaging almost yeah. a 50, 44, 90 season in his second year. And you see him, playing next to De'Aaron Fox. They drafted uh, Davion Mitchell. Um, obviously, the Kings was a dumpster fire. They hit on Halliburton. I'll give him that. Halliburton can be a 1A type player. And I really, I, I, I kind of want to give a little comparison to Deontay Murray with a jump shot. I think size-wise, they're both long. They're both skinny. They both have extreme wingspans. And Halliburton has, been, has had to take on a lot of those matchups that Fox just physically cannot handle because of his size. And he's held his own. He is an above-average defender, which people just don't understand because the Kings are so shit on defense that he has had great plus-minus splits. But for him to be able to do all of this with having to deal with De'Aaron Fox's just absolute atrocious shooting, um, I'm going to give him all the credit in the world. Um, that Halliburton looks like a future all-star to come and it's going to be sooner rather than later. Obviously the Western conference will always be stacked when it comes to guard talent, that it's going to be a little bit tough, kind of like how Dame Lillard had to deal with the first like four or five seasons, of just not making an all-star team. So mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be a little bit difficult that way, but from a pure talent perspective, like Tyrese had to do, he's got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Maxi, I'm going with Maxi. Uh, I was very, very close to giving the one to start um, to Maxi. The biggest reason why was that scoring ability and is that quick twitch. I, my favorite basketball term in the history of the world will always be bucket getter. There's not a single word that I love more than somebody that gets buckets. I love Jordan Clarkson. I love Colin Sexton. I love Lance Stevenson. I love, I love Monte Ellis. I love every generic. The OG bucket getter. Just the OG bucket getters. I love guys that can ball. You win the league, you win games by being able to put the ball in the basket. You just need to. Defense is important. I understand that. I preach that. But you need people that can score the basketball. Everybody hates Ben Simmons because he can't score the basketball. He does great, but from a winning perspective, he just doesn't have it. He can't put the ball in the basket. Tyrese Maxey in his second year has taken a massive leap. He's going to be in the conversation for most improved player of what he's been able to do, averaging 17 points. And you talked to him, you talked about him not necessarily being the best playmaker. To, he's averaging a three 
to one assist to turnover ratio for yes it's low volume because he is making very smart plays to be in his second year as a lead point guard averaging only 1.3 turnovers a game that's chris paul territory like it's when you put the numbers and really break them down that way he is a very very good playmaker I do think that if you remove like a Seth Curry and you bring in like a D'Angelo Russell kind of thing, that his turnovers will go up because he'll just be more aggressive as a scorer. But if you kind of put him in that role and force him to average, you know, six assists, I think he'll still average six assists and two turnovers and he'll just improve his playmaking. But he's so quick. He can score. He's going to be a future 20 point per game scorer. He just has that. And he's only six foot two. So I think that's kind of why I gave it to Halliburton from the two way perspective. But the Sixers have a future starting guard for a very, very, very long time. I don't necessarily want to say all-star because yeah. I do see him more maxing out as kind of a C.J. McCollum, which isn't a bad thing. I speak very highly of C.J. McCollum. I think size-wise, they match up very well. I think just athleticism-wise, Tyrese definitely has that perspective. But from a pure chance of being a great secondary playmaker, a guy who can go score, shoot 38%, Maxi with a horrible shooter coming out of college, to be able to make that big of a jump from year one to year two is insane. And it really just goes to show what kind of work I think this kid has that he just wants it. So I'm not really going to bet against him for the future in the current moment. I am going to bench him and I am a UNC Stan. Cole Anthony plays on the very, very shitty Orlando magic. There is the St. Mo Bamba who praise the Lord finally gets a start, but that team is just so bad but they're young they're going through a rebuild i get it they have to choose a path and they're doing it they're saying give the keys to the young guys jonathan isaac hasn't played a minute markel fultz hasn't played a minute yes they're coming off 20 acls they've been cleared for a very long time to always come practice but haven't heard a lick of them coming back and playing a game so they're playing the long ball they're playing cole anthony they're playing franz wagner they're playing mo bamba they're just playing Wendell Carter. They're playing these young guys and just seeing what they have. And Cole Anthony has said he was a shooter at UNC. He was a shooter in high school. This man is not shy whatsoever. He's averaging almost 20 points. He's had multiple triples doubles this year. He's averaging 26 and six. I'm going to give him all the credit from a standpoint of, yes, there are empty stack games to a certain extent, just based on the fact that somebody has to score. I think he has a lot of intangibles as well as just that mentality, very similar to a Tyrese Maxey, that I think that if you switch Cole and Tyrese, they're going to be put in similar situations. I think Cole takes a lot more risks just based on the fact of the situation that he's in. Um, I think Cole has a higher ceiling. I think Cole has all-star potential. And I think if you put him around guys like a Mobamba as they grow into their their game and they have more defensive matchups Cole's six foot five like he's a big dude like he has and he's super athletic but I think currently right now just with his inefficiencies and having to carry a lot of the burden to do kind of everything for Orlando he's only shooting 41 percent from the field shooting 36 percent from three he just has to do a lot and I get it that could lead to bad habits down the road but I'm gonna unfortunately cut Cole sorry bud fair that was a tough one too and that wraps it up for start bench cut. I love that. I love everything about that. I think it's so cool to talk about player comps and kind of mm-hmm. see what that looks like and just like see a bunch of different perspectives. Um, that was weird. That was quirky. I'm down. Yeah, that was that 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 was fun. And and at first I was like, maybe these are like too many. Maybe we shouldn't do this 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 many comps. But 
it's fun to like dive into players that you really haven't, you know, maybe you don't get a chance to watch every, every night or guys you don't think too hard, hard about like it's, there's so much talent in this league. And I, I think it's uh, it's, it's keeps growing. So it's just fun. Like to talk about these, the guys that don't get the shine because I think there's going to be a lot of future stars coming up soon. Mm-hmm. And we got to talk titles. You know, we're getting and creeping up to the all-star break. We're pretty much at that halfway point in the season. Um, I've did a preview early in the season about the quarter season review. We're pretty much at the halfway point. Um, so burn, I really want to hear your, top five title contenders in the league. And I want you to start at five and then we'll kind of go about, uh, bounce back and forth all the way to one. So five was really hard for me. Um, I think five, I think the top four for me at least were easy. Um, and then five was kind of the slot where I was like, ah, oh, there's like three or four teams here that I could have went between, but I'm going to give the edge to the Lakers. Um, that's where I have them at right now. Um, I think any team that has LeBron, even though he's 55,000 years old, he still can carry a team on his back. Maybe not all the way through a finals at this point, but I'm kind of baking in that Anthony Davis is going to come back at some point and that he's not going to be a little bitch when he gets back on the court. Um, he's still in beat son. He's always going to be in beat son, but he's a phenomenal player. One of the best big men in in the league plug. Yes. Um, But, uh, but listen, I think, I think they have a great shot. And while they look really stupid right now and Westbrook is, has his top games like he does, but then he's a black hole in five straight games. Like they had a weird constructed team, but it's LeBron's team. They're, they're going to figure it out and they're, they're going to be a a force when it comes down to final season. Um, I feel you on that. Just the full LeBron James take. Um, I disagree with everything else. I hate Russell Westbrook. I've clearly made my point clear. I do not want to be known as the Russell Westbrook guy. So do not make me out to be that guy. Well, then don't say that he's there. I Russell Westbrook, like he, if he's on that roster, this team does not win the first round. I just, I will say that flat out. Like Russell Westbrook is a worse, like Tobias Harris. Like he just brings nothing to this team besides drama, besides just questions about the offensive fit and pure black hole. He shoots a brick every single time he shoots it. He's shooting under 25% from three. He is turning the ball over at a league high rate, like just over and over efficiency, X, Y, and Z. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You surround LeBron with shooting and defense and he will get you to the goddamn NBA finals. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They trade all their shooting. They trade all their defense and they bring in Russell Westbrook because they wanted a star. I bet they wish they had Buddy Heald instead of Russell Westbrook. Dog. Remember when that, that they had the trade agreed upon? It, it was like a woge bomb. It was like trade almost agreed upon. Same exact trade they did for Russell Westbrook. It was for Buddy Heald, maybe like without an extra player or something. And it was Russ, it was Montrez Harrell. It was Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma. And no, I'm sorry. It was uh, Kyle Kuzma. It was KCP and a second mm-hmm. for Buddy Heald. Imagine, imagine this team of Buddy Heald instead right now. They'd be... Like, Way I don't, like what because he's not like a, a, a former MVP like dog like what are you doing like it's it's yeah. matchups the league is based on matchups the league is based on just fitting and making sense and chemistry and that's why you look at teams like the Sixers with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons yes they're both all NBA players yes they're all all-stars it doesn't make sense so no I don't have the Lakers anywhere remotely close to title contenders I have them so sure. far away that they're in the playoff tournament compared to at top four seed for me get them so far away and i am a cavaliers fan i love lebron james but even he can't fix this shit uh number five i have the miami heat i the heat culture is so real it is pre-jimmy butler it's going to be post-jimmy butler eric spolstra is the second best coach in the nba to me behind greg popovich when greg pop retires 
Eric Spolz is going to be the number one coach in the NBA. He takes players. That whole organization is incredible. Yeah. He takes players. And Omir, you're Steven. Who the fuck is that? I don't know. I don't know this, who half of their players are. These like, he's playing. He had seven straight games of 15 rebounds or more. They're playing without Bam out of bio. Jimmy misses time. Markeith Morris hasn't played in 30 games because he got into a fight with Jokic and lost. Like, they're playing guys like Kyle Guy, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson got the bag and forgot how to shoot. Like, but they they just win games. And it just pisses me off because when they're fully healthy, they can beat anybody. I, I will not discredit anybody because they've proven it. They've gotten to the NBA Finals and they have a team, a healthy team of Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler. You can put in, I don't know, P.J. Tucker, Markeith Morris, and Bam Adebayo. That's an NBA championship contending team. They have a big three, quote-unquote. Tyler Hero is averaging 20 and shooting extremely efficient. And I know that you don't like Tyler Hero because we just have talked about it for so long. Yep. But Tyler's proven everybody wrong. He can go get buckets. You have a mix of Kyle Lowry. Bam Adebayo is an all-star. Jimmy Butler is an all-NBA player. Like The team has everything you need to win, and they can fight the big dogs of those top four. I'm going to give them all the credit in the world. Fair. I don't, I don't Number four, I'm going Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. Milwaukee Bucks, uh, reigning champs. I think that they – I think letting P.J. Tucker go is going to be a huge miss for them. I think they're missing Brooke Lopez. Uh, there are rumors that he may not come back at all this season, which could look weird uh, with Giannis at the five long-term. I think Giannis is incredible at five in spurts, very similar to, like, the short-term LeBron kind of fix of playing LeBron at center. Um, I think that's look great for the Lakers in short term, but I think Giannis needs to do that for like 10 minutes a game, not 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And um, they're starting Grace Allen for 30 minutes. Like you're going to, you're going to tell me that an NBA championship team is going to start Grace Allen for 30 minutes. Yeah. You, you need, you need to fix that. ASAP. Even Chanzo needs to figure it out. Like Wesley Matthews needs to figure it out and get Grace and Allen out of the goddamn starting lineup. Please ASAP because when you have Drew Holiday, it works. They're NBA champions. You have Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. You're going to be able to fight anybody in the league when you have a big three like that. But the core, the full mix of everything, the injuries are going to hinder them. But when you have a player like Giannis, and you saw what he did last year in the NBA Finals when he rattled off four straight dubs and he capped it off with a 50-point win and a 50-point performance, like they, they, they got it. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. I have the Suns at four. Okay. Um, that was really tough for me, the Bucks and the Suns. I think they're kind of – they're not similar teams, but they're, I feel like they're kind of in similar places where it's like mm. – it was tough because the Suns, to me, I'll sit there and be like, oh, they have the better roster. But then I go look at the Bucks roster, and I'm like, maybe they don't. Like, it's really tough. And so I just think the Bucks have been like a sleeping giant this year. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, Middleton hasn't done shit. Drew hasn't really done shit. They've, they've been quiet. Like you said, the starting roster isn't cohesive. I have a feeling they're probably going to trade and get one of those glue guys at that third or, or fourth slot, and that's going to fit in much better than Grayson Allen. Like, I, I think they're going to find that guy, those mm-hmm. P.J. Tuckers or the Morris, or one of those guys going to become available at the deadline. Yeah. And I trust them a little, little bit more. But the Suns, they're a great team. Chris Paul, you know, he gets hurt all the time at this point in his career. So I'm a little nervous. Like if he goes down then the entire team goes down, so yeah. that's probably why I don't have him above the box, but um, the Suns, they're deadly. I wanted them to win last year. Um, I love bridges. Um, Aiton's been a little bit 
quiet as well. I, I kind of wanted to see him step up this year. Um, but yeah, I got the, I got the Suns at four for me. Uh, I'm with that. Okay. I feel you on that. Um, for me, I got the Suns at three. Uh, I think the Suns are just granted they lost in the finals last year. Um, but I think their biggest issue was that they couldn't match Giannis when Aiden wasn't on the floor. They had a full brick wall defense with everyone was below the free throw line when Giannis had it. And it was, it was an incredible defensive structure. Mm-hmm. But the only unfortunate part is now you're switching out Aiden and you're bringing in Frank Kaminsky. Like that just doesn't work yeah. ever. But now you have three. Look at Jalen Smith. Like Jalen Smith was the top 10 pick last year. He put on 15 pounds and he's their third string center. JaVel McGee, that's right. Olympian gold medalist JaVel McGee is out here backing up on the Suns. And he is filling a massive role. He has had 20 and 15 games on two separate occasions while DeAndre Aiden was out. And that gives them another starting caliber big they just didn't have last year. And I think while they're bringing back the whole core, you still have Crowder, you still have Bridges, Booker, Mm -hmm. Paul, Payne, like Cam Johnson. The main core of this team is still together. And I think by just bringing in a guy like JaVale McGee is a huge, huge plus. And that is why I'm going to give him the edge because of that position. That's fair. Entirely fair. Um, I got the Bucks coming up next in my third yeah. slot, um, as I insinuated before, obviously. Mm-hmm. I just think when you have Giannis, you know, anything's possible. Um, and, you know, you also have Middleton, who when Middleton gets hot, you see what happens with that. And Drew is just a defensive stud, really great playmaker, you know, can score on his own when needed, um, as seen down, down the stretch in some of those finals games. He started carrying them at, at points when Giannis couldn't. So um, I think they're a really tough team. I wanted to put them higher. Um, but mm-hmm. they just don't feel the same as they did last year. I'm curious to see what it looks like after the deadline, but they're, they're, they're my third spot. No, I feel that. Um, number two, I'm rocking out with the Nets. Uh, two, I'm, I just – I think that until Kyrie is full-time, it's so tough because matching up with the number one team, which I have is the Warriors, um, if that is what the NBA Finals looks like, I think that matchup-wise with a healthy Clay Thompson, you see the return – you see what that looks like. Like Kevin Durant's the best player in that matchup right there. You have James Harden, who is looking a little bit more revitalized, and Kyrie Irving. That's the best three, big three in basketball, and it's really not even close. But the chemistry of the Warriors, of Steph Curry, of Draymond Green, of Klay Thompson, knowing their roles, and also being available. They can play every game. They can play on the home. They can play on road. Like, that. that's just a factor you can't forget about. And with Kyrie only being available potentially – four or three of those games if they have home court advantage like that's not a home court advantage because you're losing your third or second best player that can't play in this home game so until those changes until that that makes sense like you're only half as potentially good but because you still have Kevin Durant seeing what he was able to do last year with no James Harden and no Kyrie like I'm gonna give Durant that credit the team is a little better they pulled the veteran card they you know they're bringing in guys like Blake Griffin and Paul Millsap and Marcus Aldridge and no it doesn't look pretty but when you have those three, like you're going to be a top two team. It just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think we both obviously have the, t- the same top two. Um, I also have the nets there. Mm-hmm. I think um, I really wanted to put them at one just because of Durant. I'm a big Durant fan. I like Harden a lot too. I know he's frustrating for a lot of people and he had a really weird start to the season, but he's starting to click again. Um, if they had Kyrie playing and and not disputing with the whole COVID situation, I think they're an easy favorite. Um, yeah. I also think if they had another player that wasn't ancient, that was anchoring that, that starting lineup with them, 
you know, that might be an easier pick too. But um, I think just the duo of Harden, even if it is just Harden and Durant, they could carry a team. You saw Harden carry as much as he mm-hmm. wants, but, and they're only going to get better as the season goes. So um, they're going to be my note number two um, as well. And then we both have the Warriors at one. And I mean, the Warriors, it's so weird to see them back at the top after, or they last place in the league. They got the first pick a couple of years ago. Like they're, I think they're one of the only other teams. There are plenty of teams that are, that are good, but I think the Warriors and the, uh, I'm sorry, the Warriors and Miami are both elite at developing their talent. Um, mm-hmm. They turn people who sometimes might think are nobodies or these late second round picks into players. Like anytime I look up, I'm looking right now, like I don't know three players I do at this point, but last year, Two years ago, I wouldn't have known three of the players on the starting lineup right now or on the court right now, and they're all pulling from three. They're all really good defensively. They all move the ball in such a fine mash. It's fucking crazy. Like, I watch them, and I'm like, that's what basketball is supposed to look, look like. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to pick any team over them because now that Clay's back, it's just – like obviously it's fun to have clay and like the whole emotion of it, but clay's also, I think people forget how fucking good he is. He's probably a top 15 ish player when he was playing and and completely healthy. So if he comes back and he's looking good, you know, he's, that team's going to be disgusting. And if Wiseman comes back too, maybe they make a trade. Like, I don't like, they could do anything they want. They have a war chest of picks and and, and Mm -hmm. players. So I don't know. I I think they're, they're my favorite. hundred percent. I think it's really kind of hard to argue when you have, a starting lineup of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Wiggins, Draymond Green, and like insert fifth person here. Like it's really whoever you want. Like Jordan Poole goes back to his role of being the sixth man, which he needs to be, and just let him gun it for 15 minutes in the game. Just get them through the second and third quarter when Steph and Clay are, are really kind of just like riding the bench. Uh, Gary Payton, I think, would be a perfect fit in the starting lineup when you run in small ball. I think he can guard one, two, or three, even, even if he's only six four, The dude can just play and hustle hard. Otto Porter's playing a little bit of ball, uh, small ball four. And then I think Wiseman's a huge X factor. You've got Wiseman and Kaminga and even Moses Moody, these you know three lottery picks that can be flipped into a Miles Turner, that can be flipped into a, a really anybody because of all the talent they have. And they are going to be a huge team to watch the deadline because a team that already is number one in the power rankings, number one in our predictions could get better. And that is terrifying to think about. Agreed. Yeah. They're they're. I'm, you know, I know people get annoyed with dynasties and stuff, but I'm, I'm kind of happy to see the Warriors be good again. I like, I, I think basketball is good when, when the Warriors are good. So it just hurts my soul. They've hurt me enough. I know. I know. You being the Cavs fan, I'm sorry. Hurt me enough. Uh, give me one quick, uh, before we wrap everything up, give me one quick dark horse uh, contender outside the top five. Uh, really quick, I was tough between uh, the Bulls and the Nuggets. I think the Bulls, I w- really wanted to say, I wanted to go with my heart there, but I just, I think they're probably a year away of being a serious like finals contender. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Nuggets have much more um, experience. Jokic is already MVP level. Um, if Jamal Murray, I know they're kind of questionable on what what his outlook looks like. Yeah. I'm kind of just baking in the fact that he comes back and he's balling. Um, I know Porter has kind of had his issues with stuff as well. He always has the back issues. I think right now he's out with what COVID for like the fifth time in a row, but um, you know, I think their whole team together, they have a great cohesive. They're kind of, I don't know. I feel like they're always so close. They're always battling the, the, the top dogs in the West and this could be their year. If Jokic goes off and if Murray comes back, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I feel that Porter's out for the year with a back injury. So I think that's oh, he's out for the year. Oh yeah. Man, he's out for hell. the year. So that's a huge factor for me of just kind of like pushing into the back burner um, for the Nuggets. I think obviously when you have an MVP like Jokic, like that conversation like can be had, but with those two being injured, like there's just no shot. Um, 
two quick ones that come to mind are the Bulls. I think the Bulls are like the perfect like team to root for and be like, yeah, they can do it. Like old school Bulls, like, but their defense is going to come down the earth. I think they, their personnel is yes, Lonzo Ball is great on defense. Alex Cruz is great on defense. You've had three career negatives in Vooch, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine. At some point, that's going to level out. I don't think they're going to be able to sustain that for 82 games plus mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Um, when you have your you know top two rim protectors being Vooch and Tony Bradley, uh, you got some big time issues. Uh, so that's some huge things right there. Uh, Grizzlies, Memphis Grizzlies, man. Uh, I'm here for the young guns. I'm here for the guys. I think Steven Adams is able to play center and anchor this team players role. Um, Jaron Jackson stepping up. Desmond Bain is looking like a dog. He's playing. Just I love, looks amazing. I love that there's shit talkers too. Like they love it. Like they're in it. They're young and they want it. So oh, I, yeah, dude. I, I love the Grizzlies. I'm all in. They're falling right into it. They have a superstar in Ja who you saw him go off last year against the Jazz when they, when he put up 40 plus and they won game one. Yes. They lost the next four. But still, that's a lot of talent on this team. And you, you, just get, you got a mix of veterans. Kyle Anderson, Killian Tilly, like Xavier Tillman, like D'Anthony Melton, weird young slash old guys that are just there, finding a role. Jonathan Conker, like just weird dudes that are just playing their roles and they have a chance. I can see them upsetting. If they get a top four seed, I can see them upsetting potentially a one seed down the road. If, they, if, if everything falls right and falls their way, like I can see them being there. That'd be awesome. I'd love to watch that. Yeah. Um, so that is a lot. So we are going to wrap it up there. Um, that is a lot going on. Hopefully you guys enjoyed everything going on. Uh, I am going to throw it over to burn. Got a quick plug for him. Burn is uh, currently running with our buddy, Steve, uh, regain esports. uh, burn. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's been fun. We, we, we were doing, uh, like call of duty Warzone tournaments for like all throughout 2021, you know, pulling data automatically we were streaming we we're casting it was fun um we kind of switched it over to the game valorant recently um and so we're building out kind of a the same way you would play intramural sports in any other sport you know soccer basketball baseball whatever maybe we're trying to build that out for esports and for valorant um it's not that same structure you know people don't really do that weekly game with the stats mm-hmm. each each week and that kind of beer league thing but we're trying to set that up um and we're, we're working with a lot of, uh, I think we have like three or four land centers right now throughout the country that um, are going to help us run some beta tests with it, which is going to be fun. Um, but in the coming months here, we're going to try to set it up, get more active on socials again, um, and just, you know, get it going. I think it's going to be a fun a fun thing. Dope, man. Yeah, for all you gamers out there, check them out. Valorant players, huge plug. Awesome. They were doing Call of Duty. Super excited to see what they got coming out in the future. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. Thank you guys for coming out and checking us out. Episode 10, a lot going on. Burn, thank you so much for coming on, being the first special guest. This is awesome. Um, check us out at Courtside Views We're on YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, all the plugs out there, all the socials. Uh, give us a look. And again, I'm Andrew Bostic. I'm your host. I'll see you guys next time.